Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly. Good morning, good morning. This is Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed Hour 1, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. One of the questions raised in our conversation with Jeff Bilbro is whether or not he has a Christmas tree up year-round. Somehow I missed um, what was happening on the text line in relationship to that because apparently um, people do have, you know, a year-round tree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I have a friend who has one of their Christmas trees up all year. That is a friend in the 507 area code. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then um, the question about barns, do chicken sheds count as barns? No. Chicken chicken sheds are coops. Mm-hmm. They're not barns. Uh, we do have a barn, but it just has machines in it <clears throat> and woodworking equipment. We don't have a barn for, we don't, we don't, we don't have like a hay barn or an animal barn yeah, I don't know what the three-story wildlife observation uh, building that also uh, doubles as a deer blind. I don't know if that counts as a barn, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Now, see, now I have whetted your appetite, and you want to go back and listen to hour one if you missed it. Here's my question for the leadoff uh, of this hour before Bill English joins us. Um, because a real recession is coming, by the way. And, uh, and yeah, so we all ought to be preparing for the reality of recession, which lies ahead uh, in terms of economics. But here's, um, here's a lead-off question for this morning. <clears throat> what are you wrestling with today? Now, immediately what, what may come, come to mind for the Christian, um, you know, who's operating out of a biblical worldview is, oh, Carmen's going to talk about, um, you know, wrestling with God and what it, what it looks like to, you know, demand that God reveal his name and, you know, wrestling with him and, you know, Jacob and, you know, walking away with a, you know, with a limp. Uh, wrestling with God. No, I'm going to talk about wrestlers, actual wrestlers in Wyoming. So this is a story about uh, four guys on a college wrestling team um, who survived a grizzly bear attack mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because they were willing to jump in there and support one another. So Kendall Cummings, um, this is, by the way, pretty graphic. Um, he could, he, This article uh, is out of CowboysDaily.com, but you can you can read about this almost anywhere across the internet right now. Kendall Cummings could feel the grizzly bear's jaw tearing through the flesh in his skull, but the adrenaline coursing through his body made it a painless sensation. Um, his descriptions of it are pretty harrowing. Here's what was going on. Uh, he and his team team wrestling teammate from Northwest College in Powell. Um, So his teammate's name is Brady Lowry. They were attacked by a grizzly bear on Saturday afternoon outside of Cody, Wyoming. Um, And they have both survived. They suffered very serious injuries. Um, And the bear first attacked Lowry. And so instead of running away, uh, Kendall Cummings, like, jumps on the bear. These are wrestlers, remember. I grabbed and I yanked him by the ear, Cummings says, who's a sophomore in college. Um, and you can imagine that the, the bear didn't like that, and Cummings drew the bear's attention, obviously, away from his teammate, and the bear not only attacked Cummings the first time, 
Um, he attacked him a second time. And um, Lowry credits Cummings with saving his life. Um, and here's the part of the story that um, I want to lift up this morning. First of all, these are experienced wrestlers. These are very strong young men. They were prepared. They were um, traveling. Uh, there were four of them. They got separated. Uh, the first two got separated from the second pair by about a half of a mile. Um, and that was the two that were in the back, further you know, further back, that had the firearm. Um, and the first young man who was attacked is the one who had the bear spray. So they could not use the bear spray, um, and the firearm was not available at the time. So they were prepared, and yet they were totally unprepared. And there is a lesson in there for us. The, their talk of brotherhood, um, we're brothers. We would do anything for each other. They talk about um, that throughout their interviews. And um, I want to note also that these two young men could not have carried themselves five miles down that mountain to help. Um, who carried them? Well, the two uninjured teammates carried the two injured teammates more than three miles down the mountain um, where they rendezvoused with uh 911, you know, people that were dispatched by 911. So what are you wrestling with today? Um, Are you, you know, are you an experienced wrestler? Is there some way today that you need to strengthen yourself for the challenges that lie ahead? How prepared are you? Do you also recognize that you can never, you know, you can never be prepared for everything. You may find yourself in a moment totally unprepared, in which case you need brothers and sisters around who are willing to sacrifice themselves, who are fully committed to, to you. And then who would you carry? Would you be prepared to carry someone who needed to be carried five miles down a mountain um, to where emergency responders um, could then take over? Like there's a reason for us to be phen- uh, physically and mentally um, and spiritually prepared to do hard things because there are hard things ahead. Bill English joins us next from BibleandBusiness.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Bill English is back. You can find him and tons of good resources at BibleAndBusiness.com. Good morning, Bill. (laughs) Good morning, Carmen. How's how's the Carminator today? Mm -hmm. I am good. I am all caffeinated (laughs) up and ready to go. And it's cold. Like, it's like, it's it's hard to not be lively when it's so cold. Oh, no, wait a minute now. You're in Tennessee. What's what's cold Mm -hmm. in Tennessee? um, At the bottom of my computer, there's a freeze warning. Oh, well, 30, okay, good. It's 37 degrees outside right now where I live. Okay, so it's That's 24 cool. here, 24 here well, in Minnesota. That's so. colder. That's colder, <laughs> but your blood is thicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's still swimming mm-hmm. temp for some Minnesotans, I'll tell you that. So. <laughs> yeah, those are the... the those yeah those are real people okay so let's talk yeah. about some kitchen table issues today um we sure. are hearing that recession real recession is coming i mean we may have thought it had already arrived but apparently we are headed into a real recession um you know people might be prone to fret about that um you know literally the price of butter right we're talking about basic issues i don't know let's just wander around a little bit in you know in some home economics and some kitchen table issues today 
Okay. So when you um when you try to explain to someone who asks, like, why uh, are you know why is the cost of, of of everything rising? And maybe let's stay away from oil and gas because that is maybe the most complicated answer to the question. But like when we <laughs> just think about why why the cost of things rises, I feel like we should go back to like Econ one hundred and one and have a conversation about guns and butter. Guns and butter. Uh, yeah. Well, the reason the reason prices go up is because the dollar gets devalued. So the purchasing power of every dollar uh, is lower. It, it, each dollar purchases less than, than what it uh, was able to say a year ago or two years ago. And that's why, um, in theory, we think about inflation as prices going up. But really, inflation is about the devaluation of the purchasing power of every dollar. And when you look at basic econ, you know, just kind of the econ 101, it's it's because we've had way too many dollars flood the market. So we have a lot more dollars chasing either the same or maybe in some cases fewer goods and services. Right? I mean, we don't have as many restaurants as we used to have. We don't have as many small businesses as we used to have. And so um the the um number of of goods and services that exist in our economy relative to the number of dollars, uh, that ratio has changed, and so the value of each dollar drops. So, for example, 20 years ago, in 2002, uh, we had uh, – I'm looking here. I'm, by the way, this is – for those who care, this is from the St. Louis Fed. I'm on their website right now. Uh, in February 2002, we have $5.4 trillion in the economy. Now, that's the M2 money supply, right? Today, we have $21.7 trillion. So, uh, literally, a fourfold, roughly a fourfold increase in the number, the, just the sheer number of dollars in our economy. Now, it just stands to reason if I, if, uh, if diamonds, if there was only one diamond in the world, you know, then that diamond would be priceless. But if diamonds were as ubiquitous as sand on the seashore, then no one would would value diamonds for their inherent qualities, right? So the number of elements, or or, or the number of elements in a in a given population that increases, the less each element is worth. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's why we have inflation. See, I knew you are could you, explain are you with it. Me? Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. And I knew that you could explain it in a way that would help me really understand it. And the diamond and sand um an analogy really does help. Um so when when I think about um the cost of things and uh, and and I recognize that um cereal boxes have gotten smaller. Um like things like that. Like there are ways that producers um, are compensating. They're going to still charge me the same thing, but I'm going to get less in the box. That is one way that they are trying to like trick me into thinking that I'm, you know, my four dollar box of cereal is still the same, but it's not. It's smaller. It has it's fewer not. servings right. in it. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's one part of this conversation. Um, um, but there are other parts of this conversation as well. And maybe when um, maybe you could help us with this. How do how do we ask for what we need? maybe from our employers or from others, like how do we ask for what we need in times like this of an economic downturn? Um, and when should we ask for help? Uh, like, you know, in terms of contacting creditors and those kinds of things. Can we can we have those conversations when we come back? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So Bill English is going to, you know, help us navigate our way through this challenging economic season. 
Um, how do you ask for help um, when you need it during an economic downturn? And when should you ask for help um, in terms of your creditors and others? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing Continuing our conversation with Bill English, you can find him at bibleandbusiness.com. If you, um, you know, if you haven't uh, read it already and checked it out, Biblical Wisdom for Business Leaders, 30 Sayings from Proverbs is one of his books, and I just want to tee that up again today. Um, talk with us, uh, Bill, about how to ask for what we need during an economic downturn and when to ask for help. Uh, so, okay. When you're, when you're running out of cash, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of divide this into a couple, three different groups. When you're running out of cash personally, uh, you need to go to your church or, or your benevolent fund at the church and say, here's a specific thing that, that I need help with. Maybe I need help paying a $150 heat bill, or maybe I just need help making my mortgage payment for one month. But don't just go in and say, I need, you know, $3,000. Uh, no one's going to help you uh, that way. Those, those benevolent funds are usually set up with certain criteria. So don't wait until you're out of cash. Uh, go talk to them before you're out of cash and, and get that lined up. By the same token, if you own a business and you um and you see that your cash is really tight and you're not you're gonna have to stretch your vendors, it's probably a good idea to get on the phone with them and say, um, I I, I can't pay you on time, but here's what I can do. And then make sure that you follow through on everything you say that you can do and that you do it at the time that you say you can do it. Um, when I was turning around my company back in 2009, uh, uh, after the uh, recession, uh, we had um, over a million dollars of vendor debt and less than 100000 of cash in the bank. And this was, this was kind of handed to me by the CEO who... I had to let go because um, we, we just couldn't afford him. And I learned later that he just wasn't doing a good job managing cash. I called every vendor every Friday afternoon. It was, it was what I called my painful Friday. And I called every vendor that I owed every Friday afternoon. And I told them either I can or can't pay you, right? And when I could pay you, then, then I sent them the check. Didn't pay them more or less than what I promised. Uh, that actually built... Uh, uh, strong vendor relations for my company. And I had a half a dozen or so vendors who I really stretched a long ways, but the quality of my relationship with them increased to the point where they told me to stop calling that they knew that I would pay them and, and they fully trusted me to pay them, and which I did, by the way. And so um, when you are getting close to being out of cash, 
that before you run out, that's the time to start contacting your vendors and people that you owe money to. One last thing here, Carmen, use this time as as motivation to start saving for the next recession, which is sure to happen. They happen every seven to 10 years. Uh, these are cyclical things. Most Americans don't even have one month's worth of cash sitting in the bank that they can rely on. Uh, I would encourage everybody to be saving, even if it's only just a you know a couple hundred bucks a month, be saving towards the future so that you can get three to six months of cash set aside. And, uh, and that way, the next time this happens, you have some cash reserves to rely on. When you talk about um, churches and their ability and willingness to help because of the way that, you know, God gathers resources together in one place, tell people about the good news story um, out of Atlanta, this church that's really serving the needs of its neighbors. Yeah, this is new birth, right? Uh, this is the, this is the uh, story of new birth. And uh, they have, they're, they're in Atlanta, and they have now, they, they, they started a, a, basically a food bank or, or meals to those who were in need, and they have surpassed one million meals that they have passed out. And that's, it's sobering in one way to think that, that a church needs to give out a million meals over a, a, I forget the amount of time. I don't know if you remember, Carmen. It's been a couple of years. I mean, like they started, you know, when the oh, that's really, right. really like early on um, in terms of the pandemic, um, maybe even before we knew we were in a pandemic state. Um, and they've been, you know, they've been having these People come, they drive through. It's a drive through thing and they give them, you know, a, a bag or a box of um, of groceries. Um, and there's now like thousands of cars every week. Um, and so they they highlighted the one millionth car that came through. Um, yeah, pretty, uh, pr- pretty extraordinary to consider. Th- this church also, um, a couple of months ago oh. in Mississippi was... Um, uh, in the water, I mean, you know, really, really acute uh, need for bottled water in one community. Um, they sent truckloads, tractor trailer truckloads of water. I'm just saying, like, there are some churches out there really doing it. And I yeah. wanted to highlight this good news story. Yeah. Yeah. And that church, and and I, I just want to speak to those who are resource heavy, right? People who have extra cash. That church has to have one or more people in their church who are giving way more than 10% in order to fund all that. The money has to come from somewhere, right? Nothing's free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so God has moved in the hearts of some of the people in that church who maybe can give 30, 40, 50% of their income. Uh, He has moved in their hearts to, to fund that because those meals don't come from, from nowhere. You know, they have to be paid for yeah. So well, my, my, really... my encouragement, my encouragement is is if you're a person of wealth, you have a greater stewardship responsibility before the Lord to give more than the ten percent in order to help those who maybe um can give less. So Yeah, and it's really fun. Like right. I mean oh, they're yeah. part of I think yeah. part of what they are experiencing as a congregation is just how much fun it is to bless people. Um, and then how, you know, if I bring what I can bring and you bring what you can bring and, you know, and oh, our yeah. friend Bob brings what he can bring, you know, Bob's part might be huge, relatively speaking. But you and Bob and I all get to enjoy um, the way God uses the the way that those aggregated gr- gifts are really blessing 
real people in real need. So, yeah. So thanks so much. Hey, Bill, as always, um, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm loving the 30 sayings from Proverbs and Biblical Wisdom for Business Leaders. So thank you so much uh, again for that. You guys can connect uh, with Bill English and his books and everything else that he's working on and writing at BibleAndBusiness.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Do you have a teenager? You got a teenager um, in your life? What's going on behind closed doors when they are meeting with healthcare professionals and you are not in the room? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered how honest your kids are being with you? Um, have you ever wondered what those um, healthcare professionals know that you don't know? Um, you want to be able to talk with your teenager? about all of the kinds of things that um, that threaten them today, mental health challenges, social media, suicide ideation or attempts, sexting, substance abuse, gender identity. Um, we're going to have a conversation with Jessica Peck. Uh, Jessica is a longtime pediatric nurse practitioner. She's the mom of four, and she's the author of Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate life's toughest issues. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is a new day. Everything's bursting with hope. Coming alive. Moment, moment. Dr. Jessica Park um, is a doctor of nursing practice. She's the former president of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. She's got 20 more than 20 years experience as a pediatric uh, nurse practitioner. She's also the mom of four. She has spent countless hours advising and encouraging parents after talking with their teens behind closed doors. Uh, that is also the title of the book, Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's tough issues. Um, Jessica, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so wh- let's let's just start here. Why this book and why you? Well, as a professor, I'm very alarmed about the research emerging on the current status of mental and physical health in teens today. I see a deeply anxious and depressed generation of teens who is disconnected from meaningful relationships and parents who want to help but aren't sure what to do. And as a pediatric nurse practitioner, I know firsthand from a close and personal seat that life isn't perfect. I meet families behind closed doors in crisis at their greatest point of need in a place they never imagined they'd be. And as a mom of four teens, my kids are 19, 17, 15, and 13, I'm living this personally and professionally. And I see my own kids at home struggling to live and navigate today's world that just seems so um, so crazy. And so I know the pain and heartbreak of wanting so badly to be a good parent, but feeling like you're failing miserably. So for me as a full professor with academic freedom at a faith-based university and being a mom in the trenches, it just led me to realize I had the knowledge, skill set, and experience to engage, equip, encourage, and empower parents. And that led to the birth of DrNurseMama.com, my professor brain, hands-on nursing experience, 
and Heart as a Mom in the book, Behind Closed Doors, A Guide to Help Parents and Teens Navigate Through Life's Toughest Issues. Yeah, give us your um, give us your website again, because I think that, you know, when people want to connect with you, that's the best place. And from there, they can get to your social media. Yes, absolutely. That is drnursemama.com, drnursemama.com. And they can find my social and my podcast and all of the things. Yeah, because they're going to want that. So drnursemama.com. It'll be linked in the show notes for today as well. Let's talk about um, what is in Behind Closed Doors. Um, you know, I got to tell you, when, I, um, when I'm now sitting out in the waiting room portion, um, because I don't go in with my teenagers anymore, right? Um, they go behind those closed doors with the doctor or the nurse practitioner. Um, and then I get to meet with um, the doctor or the nurse practitioner, but I don't always know that I'm getting, uh, you know, the whole truth. Talk with us about what you're hearing behind those closed doors from teenagers today. Yes, and that's absolutely what I'm trying to do in the book is to demystify that. And for each topic I go through, I say, here is everything that I'm talking to your teen about, and here's what I'm talking about. And my heart as a pediatric care provider is always to connect parents and teens. And many times I find that parents want to talk to their teens about something. The teens want to talk to their parents about something, but they just don't know how to initiate that conversation. Contrary to popular belief, teens care deeply what their parents think about them. And parents think, oh, my teen's not listening to a word I say, but that's not true. And the things they're listening to most intently for is listening for what you say about them. And most importantly, they believe everything you say about them. So behind closed doors, I I took the top 12 issues that I'm encountering in clinical practice, and those are all the chapters of the book. We're talking about really hard things like social media, mental health, cyberbullying, pornography, divorce, vaping, substance abuse, uh, disordered eating, gender identity, uh, social justice, pornography. I mean, just it's enough to make your head spin, but what I'm seeing is teens who are struggling with things and parents who just, we don't want to imagine our kids struggling those things. So they've never put themselves in that place to say, maybe this could happen. And teens are feeling a sense of shame and they don't know how to open that conversation and come and disclose. Yeah. And as a parent, I want to be the one having those conversations because I'm operating out of a, you know, God-fearing, you know, Christian worldview And that health professional behind those closed doors may or may not be operating out of that worldview. So that's one of the things that I think is so um, important about your book, Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate life's toughest issues. Um, Because you are, Jessica, you know, you are equipping us as Christians to uh, uh, approach these conversations in ways that, you know, aren't just like accurate and appropriate from uh, healthcare and mental health care perspective, but a but a Christian perspective as well. You're helping us, I think, get over um, many of the hurdles that we face in terms of conversation, conversations that we want to be having with our teenagers. Um, but we just really, we needed somebody to equip us, and that's what you're doing. That's exactly right. And you bring up a good point about healthcare professionals. And in these days where convenience is king of healthcare, you know, parents tend to take their children to a wider variety of healthcare providers. You might see an urgent care, convenient care, telehealth, and those services definitely have their time and place, but nothing replaces that primary care relationship. 
between a family with children and teens and a healthcare provider that you like and you trust. And both of those things are, are really important. And what I see is a disconnect between what we as parents want the world to look like for our teens and what it actually looks like. So to influence our kids' worldview, you know, we can't lecture our way into right relationship. We have to face the realities of today as much as we wish it weren't so. And we need to initiate difficult conversations with confidence and grace while sparing their dignity. And what I see is a lot of parents who are just afraid to expose their kids. We don't want to expose our kids to these things that are so scary and terrible. But what I would encourage parents to do is to do just that, to intentionally expose your children in a developmentally appropriate way. And what this does is it positions you as the expert and it opens a door for them to come back to conversation. And one of the common, you know, challenges that I see parents face is they think when they have these conversations, if we're really honest, we kind of expect that immediate gratification of our parenting efforts. You know, we expect, I'll tell you, I have four teenagers. And when I talk about difficult things, even me, you know, who I have a lot of experience talking to teens about things, they do not say, oh, thank you, mom, so much for this discussion. This was really helpful. And I'm so, I so enjoyed this. No, they say, oh, my gosh, mom, do we have to talk about this again? Oh, this is so dumb. I don't know. No. And they may protest the whole time. My son, even one time during a difficult conversation uh, where I was needing to tell him about some things he had been exposed to, he pulled his hoodie over his face and pulled a drawstring until only his nose was sticking out. You know, he said, we shall never speak of this again. But I'm telling you, they come back and they say, you know, that thing you talked to me about? It happened, and I want to talk about it. Because many times when they encounter something, if the parent has not initiated any conversation, what the teen thinks is, this is not okay to talk about with my parents. And I feel shame, but I don't know exactly why or what to do. And they try to figure it out on their own because they care so deeply about what you think about them, and they don't want to disappoint you. Yeah, so I think there's some very practical things here, Jessica. Like, you know, you're not screaming at him saying, take down that hoodie and look me in the eye, right? You are recognizing that he really wants to have that conversation, um, like, you know, on the opposite side of a confessional. He would really prefer for it not to be his mother's voice that he's hearing about, you know, pornography or about sexting or you know, whatever, right? Whatever the right. the topic is. Um, or, you know, hey, I hear that boys online are... Um, you know, in view of one another choking themselves, um, right? And they're doing that for some kind of sexual gratifying reason. And you want to have that conversation with your kid before they do that, before they do that, before they are tempted by their friends to do that. And I say that as the friend of a couple um, who I deeply love, whose 16-year-old son died in the room next to theirs, experimenting with that behavior online that they did not even know existed as a thing. So we're talking about real life issues that real families are dealing with in real time, and it leads to extraordinary grief. Um, And so if you're a parent or a grandparent and you're saying to yourself, I don't have any idea the kinds of things that Jessica and Carmen are talking about in terms of um, the challenges that are being faced by teenagers today, um, this, this is your book, and this is an invitation for you to engage in it. It's called Behind Closed Doors a guide to help parents and teens navigate life's toughest issues. Um, You can connect directly with Dr. Jessica Peck at her website, drnursemama.com. 
And again, the book is Behind Closed Doors. Um, Jessica, when we come back, let's dig around in some of the particular things that you address in the book. And maybe we'll start with mental health. Sounds good to me. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Jessica Peck and I will be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. This is a kingdom, heaven coming down to the corners of the earth. This is a kingdom. Talking with Dr. Jessica Peck, the book is Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate life's toughest issues. Um, Jessica, take us behind closed doors and let's talk about some of the particular challenges you address in the book. Um, let's start with mental health. Absolutely. So mental health is something that we see the American Academy of Pediatrics issuing a national crisis over. It is definitely reflective of what I'm seeing in pediatric practice, rising rates of anxiety and depression. And our kids today are facing things we just simply didn't face as kids. And we didn't encounter social media, sexting, vaping, cyberbullying, all of these things that are very real realities for kids today that are creating a perfect storm of external cultural influence, ineffective coping mechanisms, and disconnection from real dialogue and intentional relationship building. And I am seeing that increase in presentation for mental health. We're also seeing a generation who is willing to talk about mental health in a way that previous generations were not. Every generation had their trauma that they dealt with in a different way. Going back as early, we can look at World War II and how those veterans came back very brave, but very stoic and emotionally unavailable, which led you know rise to the baby boomers who are the free love generation because they saw what war did to their parents and their mental health, even though they didn't categorize it that way. And now we fast forward to Gen Z and we look at someone like Simone Biles who withdraws from the United States Olympics and immediately the national dialogue you know, starts to diverge and say she's a traitor or she's a hero. And the truth is she's neither of those. She was just a young woman uh, struggling with mental health. But stigma is a real barrier for talking about mental health. We fear what people will think of us. And when our kids are little, they have we think they have an ear infection. We don't hesitate to pick up the phone and say, I just want to check their ears and make sure they're okay. We don't have that same attitude when we see early signs of mental health. Most of the time when parents come in, it's been going on for months. And usually they're coming in asking, is this the flu? Is this mono? Um, they don't usually say, is this mental health? And stigma is just basically an unhealthy coping mechanism that we use to deal with our fear that something bad is going to happen to us or someone we love. And 
Stigma at its core is social rejection, and often parents fear more the danger of falling from a social pedestal than the real dangers of physical illness, injury, or even death in the face of these problems. So we need to have the courage to talk about these things and to normalize mental health, normalize symptoms of mental health by going to a healthcare provider or a counselor or starting even you know with your pastor to see what you need to do to, to get help for that issue. The um, the getting to the place where um, where we could say, you know, I mean, in the same way that, hey, I got, you know, I'm taking my kid to the doctor, you know, he's got a he's got an earache or, you know, my daughter's got a got a stomach ache. You know, we're not we're not or, you know, or right now, so many people with their kids with some kind of, you know, like hacking cough. Right. It seems to be the season right. Tis the season um, instead saying, you know, my kid needs a mental health day or I need a day off because I got to take my kid um, you know, we we, we got to go get some counseling, like, right, there is something different about that. And that is persistent. And so um, thank you for, um, for helping us you know, sort of find our feet in those conversations. Can you talk about how or some ways that a parent can assess um, whether or not their teenager needs help? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I go through in each chapter of Behind Closed Doors, because as parents, many times we're wondering, is this that bad? Do we need to go? You know, is this rising to that level? But again, you know, we have such a lower threshold with physical things. If they have a sore throat, you know, we'll take them in for a strep test. And so what I would say to parents is if you kind of, if you have that, that amazing spidey sense that parents have that's telling you that something is wrong, usually what happens is you're going to wait. And then you might do some Google searching. According to to Gallup, 81% of Americans will use Google to look at for information, but only 16% will talk to a trusted friend. And so I would say, who is in your circle? Who is in your trusted circle that you could talk about these kinds of things and that you could say, okay, I just want to check and make sure. And for me, that gateway is a lot of times just your pediatric primary health care provider. We know how to do behavioral rating scales that we could say to a parent, yes, this is something to be concerned about, or no, you know, I don't think that's something to be concerned about. A lot of parents, I think, are afraid to bring up mental health concerns because they're deeply afraid of a prescription being shoved at their face. And what I would tell parents is that the most common things that kids deal with, anxiety and depression, prescriptions are not recommended as first-line therapy. It is counseling and cognitive behavioral therapy and other you know, forms of mental health support that don't have anything to do with medication. So that should not be your experience, and that should not be your fear in going to access care for mental health concerns. Okay, can let me ask a follow-up question here, because I think that, um, okay, so the the physician or um, or the PA, you know, tell us we need to get our kids some counseling help. How do you go about finding that person? Because there's, you know, there's so many um, approaches to to counseling, and I don't want to take my kid to the wrong kind of counselor. And I'm and I'm really afraid. You you th- you thought I was afraid of taking them, you know, to their uh, to their to the pediatrician. Um, I'm really afraid of what happens behind closed doors when my kid is with a quote unquote counselor. I completely understand your concern. You're reflecting the concern of many parents across the country. And what I would say is that 
actually, we're doing a lot of integration of mental health care into primary health care. There's no reason that we as healthcare providers should say, oh, well, you have a mental health concern. I don't take care of those. And we actually do. There's a lot of things that we can do right there in primary care, just like we would give you a prescription for strep throat or an ear infection. We can give you tips and, and tools to use to address um, depression and anxiety. If you have, a, if you do want a counselor, I actually just did a post about this on my social media about all of the different kinds of healthcare providers and how to navigate that. And if you have that relationship with your primary care provider who you trust, you can tell them your concerns and they can help to make sure that you're matched with someone who aligns with your worldview and who aligns with your personality. It's really important for teens to like who they're going to. There are no quick fixes here. There is not going to be any instant cure. And sometimes we want that, just like the pink stuff or strep throat. But there is no instant cure for mental health. And so if you don't have a good connection with that first counselor, you have to, as a parent, uh, be the teen's champion and be their advocate and look and work to connect them and just keep trying until you find a healthcare provider that you really trust and that you feel like is going to be a good fit for your family. Now it's so good. Jessica, um, I've loved making this connection with you. Um, I hope we can continue this conversation in the future. We've only talked about one, really one chapter of the book, and that's the mental health chapter. Would you, um, would you be willing to come back and talk with us again? I would absolutely love that. Yes, we have so much more to, to discuss. I'd love that. Well, and you're, you're real. Like, I mean, I, I don't want to say that other people are fake, but like it, it, it's, it feels like a genuine conversation and I can just reflect to you what I'm feeling um, and experiencing and you're not um, you're not just afraid to talk about it. And so thank you. Thank you for being real and for having real conversation about something that really matters to so many of us. You know, I think that's my advantage in being a nurse because nurses are the most trusted profession ranked every single year over and over again. And that is exactly what I do in Behind Closed Doors. It, it, is, it is just real straight talk. I think parents want to know, what are the kids really thinking? What are they saying? And I really want to connect to them and make those real conversations and make uncomfortable conversations comfortable for you. And so that's what I've done in Behind Closed Doors is modify a professional tool I use called motivational interviewing into a simple four-step model for, for parents. Love your team. Listen with your face offer open-ended questions, validate their feelings, and explore next steps together. So I would love to join you again, Carmen, for more Real Talk. I think that's a thing. We just made it up. Real Talk with Carmen and Jessica. Amen. Or just, or we could just have coffee, whatever, however you want, whatever you want to call it. But yes, Real Talk for sure. All right. That is Dr. <laughs> Jessica Peck, among other things, the author of Behind Closed Doors and now on the hook to be a regular guest here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay. I couldn't be more excited. This has been a very productive conversation. You can find Jessica online at drnursemama.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. You know, some days you're just like, yep, I want to talk to that person again and again and again and again. So there you go. Um, I'll find a space for Jessica to join us again. Thank you for all of the positive, encouraging feedback on the text line this morning. Um, Lots going on out there in the world. Uh, During our conversation this morning, one of the things that popped 
uh, in terms of the news headlines is that Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, has declared martial law in the annexed regions of Ukraine. I don't um, I don't exactly know all that that will mean. But when you hear that Russia is, quote unquote, evacuating people from um, Ukraine into Russia, um, other people would describe that as kidnapping, um, forcible relocation, deportation. Uh, And so as you are praying the news today and as you're praying for people on the ground, let's be praying for our Christian brothers and sisters, particularly in these regions of Ukraine, um, over which Russia has now declared martial law. Um, That is going to really restrict um, the ability of people in those regions um, to access uh, the things that they need uh, in these days. So let's... uh, lift up prayers for them. Hey, have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.